you. Man, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Man, I, I just want to talk to you and just continue on our series uh, this morning. And as we've been talking about the people of promise, we've been reading through the book of, of Exodus and Leviticus, we've read some of Numbers, and now we're in the book of Deuteronomy. And, uh, you know, we, we, we see this image of God's people being delivered out of the bondage of Egypt and being brought into the promise, uh, the land of, uh, that flows with milk and honey. You know, this is like, it's, in our terms, it'd be like the land that flows with, with ball, crawfish, and boudin. You know, that's, that would be the promised land for all of or most of us here, I guess, I don't know. But, but, um, but there's a process they have to go through. You see, God was brought, them out, brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but he had to get the Egypt, the Egypt out of the Israelites, right? So, so there's going through this process. And of course, man, this is just this incredible story of sin and everything else. And, and, uh, but God is instilling some values in them. And, and I believe that the people of promise contain a few values as we identify as the people of promise. Come on, how many of you know God has a promise on your life? Come on, we're, we are grafted in uh, to the nation of Israel. We are the body of Christ. Come on, in us, the fullness of the Godhead dwells as we understand that Christ dwells within us. Paul said, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are ambassadors, come on, of the King. When we walk into the room, we walk in as representation, right? I mean, did you know we have diplomatic immunity here on earth when we are walking in the promises of God? Come on, the devil can't bring charges against you. Come on, you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I, I believe that, that the people of God, they, they contain a few characteristics, and we've gone through kind of a, a theme of the people of promise, so over these past several weeks that we talked about radical stewardship, that we steward the things of God in, in a holy way. We steward the things that God has given us. We have an understanding that everything we have is a gift from God. I, I don't just steward my 10%. Come on, I steward the 100%. And it's not like I can give my tithe and just spend the 90% on whatever I want. We're called to steward the things of God. We have all have gifts, talents, abilities, influence. Many of you are business people. Are you stewarding your influence in business for the kingdom of heaven? You know, these are the things, these are the characteristics of God. Uh, let me tell you, as far as in, uh, influence goes, the pastor of a church is probably one of the least influential. Because it's not our job to do the ministry. It's our job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is just to train and get out of the way. We need to steward that. We need to be radically obedient. I and mean, we talked about obedience, what that looks like, and, and how the people of God failed to enter into the promise because they failed to be obedient to just walk into the promise. We talked about radical faith. I mean, we need faith that tears down mountains today. We talked about radical unity. I mean, unity is, is of the utmost importance today. But we are the... Again, the body of Christ, it's like we are made up the, the body, the ligaments and the bones and the marrow and all that other stuff, right? It's important. Every aspect is important. Every person here is important to the mission of Christ on the earth. Every person. You know, I was 
I was doing some, uh, some we, we look at numbers, I'm always evaluating. I came from an oil field background, primarily business, and, and I'm always looking at numbers and looking at statistics and all this other stuff. So I was looking at our attendance, and you know, over the past three to four years, our attendance has just continued to increase. Praise God, that's awesome. You know, our, our tithes and offerings, you know, every year has continued to increase. I'm like, okay, that's great, you know, but you know what really makes me excited? The, the, the one statistic I looked at that really, really made me excited was how many people volunteer on a regular basis in this church? How many people serve on a regular basis? You know, we have over 160 people in our church that volunteer and serve on a weekly basis. Is that not just remarkable? Thank you so much for your faithfulness. It's because we operate in unity and togetherness. It's this understanding that this is not Joe's church. Man, it drives me crazy when people come and say, hey, man, how's your church doing? I'm like, I don't even have a church. Like, for one, it's his church. It's the church. It's our church. We're unified. Anyway, talk, Pastor Darrell uh, talked about radical holiness. You know, we need to, it's more important that we know whose we are than who we are. Our identity is in Him. Amen? So I just want to continue today and, and on that theme of radical. But I, let me just define the term radical once again. Radical is simply this. That term is to be very different from the usual or traditional. But how many of you know God is calling us to be a peculiar people? Like just to fit in is not really operating in your calling. God has called us to be world changers, to be culture changers, culture creators. Come on, I, I, I long for the day when the world begins to look at the church to see the example of stewardship, obedience, faith, unity, and holiness. But the truth is that right now the church is just kind of fitting in to the rest of the world. In fact, I would say that, that we are like the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. You know, the, the lukewarm simply just means that, 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 that the wa if we had lukewarm water, that that water has, it, it has just taken the same temperature of the air around it. And Jesus says he spits that out of his mouth. He spews it. I mean, if you really want to use a basic English Bible, he vomits that out of his mouth. I mean, church, we don't need to be lukewarm, but we need to be a people who change things. We need to be very different from the usual or traditional. That's the church. We're called to be radical. Man, radical Christianity. Jesus freaks, as, as Dr. Lynn might say. Dr. Lynn is a Jesus freak. I mean, I mean, he, and we need to be Jesus freaks. It's like not being, I don't want to just fit into the mold of traditional Christianity. The, the mold, anyway. The mold has never broken anything. It's always the mold that is broken. And we need to be the one who break the mold. And so to be radical means favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions, or institutions. You see, it's not enough to simply know what to do, but we must be the people who actually do it, right? It's not enough to just know the Word. Know the Word and then do what it says. You want to see Christianity on fire? Like, read the Bible and do what the Bible says. I mean, speaking of fire, me and me and David and several others, we love to go backpacking and hiking. And man, you can have all the ingredients to make a fire. You can have wood, you can have flame, you can have kindling, you can have all that stuff. And we can sit there at a prayer meeting and we can kumbaya around all of the stuff that we need to make a fire. But until we actually put the match to the to the sticks, nothing's going to happen. 
I can be able to explain all the physiological uh, reasons why fire works. I can explain the whole fire triangle to you. But until we actually light a fire, ain't no fire lit. And in the church, we may know doctrine, we may know all these things, but until we begin to do what the Bible says we need to do, then we haven't done nothing yet. God is calling us to be radical. In fact, James says, faith without works is dead. And I love the song we sang, because God is good. God's promises are good. How many of y'all know His promises are good? Well, He is good. He is good. Even and, and God's promises are good. Even when His promises are possessed by giants. So today, I, I want to read in, in our Bibles. We're gonna, I've got a little bit of Scripture to read, and, and then I want to preach a message on radical vision. Come on, God is calling the church to have radical vision. Come on, somebody say, Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be reading the book of Deuteronomy. We'll have the words up on the screen. It's, it's going to be quite a bit of Scripture, but that's okay. Come on, look at your neighbor say, it's okay. It's the Bible. I mean, don't ever go to a church that don't read the Bible. I mean, that's kind of the whole point, right? I mean, literally, if I can get away with it, I would just get up here on Sunday and read Ephesians. It would be powerful, right? I can get up here and read Thessalonians. In fact, I'd be willing to bet you the early Christian church, like, y'all want to have an early Christian church experience? It's like, they, they received this letter from this apostle named Paul, and, and they would say, hey, we got a letter from Paul, let's read it. And then they would pray. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't have all these exegetical, homiletical, uh, hermeneutical messages. They just read the book. I mean, anyway, so we're going to read the book a little bit today. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 40. It's quite a bit, but I feel like it's, it's important. And uh, before, before we get into that, let me just give you a quick background. Uh, just so, so the Israelites, if you read through the book of Genesis, God created. You get to, to the book of Exodus. He, he, he had created a people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then there's this son named Joseph. He goes into Egypt. God blesses the people. And then they become into bondage into the government because that's what governments do. And I'm not trying to be, that's not a, that's not a, like one of those, political comment. It's, it's the nature of governments to bind the people. I, just, anyway, I don't want to get into that. But So they're in bondage for 400 years. God miraculously, through a series of miracles, signs and wonders and plagues, it's awesome and amazing. He splits open the Red Sea and the people of God are delivered out of, out of the bondage of Egypt. And they're in this place in the wilderness, right? And, and then they're there. It's supposed to be just a short period of time. They were going to build a tabernacle. God was going to teach them some things. And then they were going to go into the promised land that God had given them. It was like, like God had got them this great, amazing place. And they were on their way. But then God realized, and I think the people realized, and Moses realized that they weren't ready to possess the promises that God had for them. So instead of spending a year or maybe two or in the wilderness, they took... 40 years to make an 11-day journey. Boy, that's like, it's like going to the DMV right there. And, and, and it's, so this is what happens because they sin and, 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 and God realized that although they had been delivered, they weren't ready to possess the promises that he had for them. So here we go. We're in the book of Deuteronomy, which is written right at the end of 
of their captivity, of, of this time in the wilderness. So 40 years, deliverance, 40 years, and then Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy. And it's kind of like this last will and testament of Moses, if you want to think of it like that. It's like, hey, guys, let's huddle up. Before I'm old, I'm not going in. Y'all are going to go. But before y'all go, I want to give y'all some last words, right? I want to make sure that y'all know this is, this is what's happening, right? So this is where we are. The book of Deuteronomy. Is everybody there with me? So, verse chapter 1, verse 19 of Deuteronomy, it says this. So we departed from Oreb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God had commanded us. So he's, he's painting this picture. It's great and terrible. He says, then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites which the Lord our God is giving us. He says, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. If you don't have that underlined, underline that. Do not fear or be discouraged. Verse 22, and every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us. And let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me. Well, this is Moses saying, the plan pleased me well. I have a little note, but did it please God? So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of God, of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and you said, because the Lord hates us. He has bought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. Tall people. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. It's a good word study. Look that up. This is the sons of Anak. They were, they were the, some of the tribes of the Nephilim. So then, this is verse 29. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. Remember in, verse, in the previous verses, do not fear, be discouraged. He's saying, then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, like you saw it. He says, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go by the, in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. Verse 34, And the Lord heard the sound of your words 
and was angry and took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall, shall see what God, what good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Je Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was angry with me for your sakes. This is Moses saying, even you shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, and he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it and they shall possess it. But for you, turn and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And it was in that, this is Moses reiterating to them. He's saying, this is, this is what happened 38 years ago. I'm reminding you of this opportunity that you left behind because you failed to see with spiritual eyes and you saw with your own eyes and you became afraid and discouraged. I want to just read uh, really quickly from Numbers chapter 13, verse 13. Numbers 13, 13. And it reads, that, that's not the right, 13, 33, I'm sorry. 13, 33. It says this. This is, this is the report of the spies. He says, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak come came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for, Lord, new eyes. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to comprehend. Lord, give us a mind to understand the high and holy calling of Christ on our life. Lord, that we can draw near to you. Lord, that we can see you in the midst of our enemies. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to talk today about having radical vision. Okay, radical vision. Vision that changes things. Vision that, 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 that can totally help you possess the land. I think that's something that the church is lacking today. I believe that God's doing a new thing. Come on, how many of y'all realize God is doing a new thing in the church? I mean, it's something new. I mean, I, I haven't been in like, you know, full-time vocational church ministry, but four years. But I'm glad I wasn't in it for very long before COVID because I don't have really a, 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 anything to, to judge this off of. I, I don't have 25, 30 years of pastoral ministry experience. I've been to church a lot. But I'm like, man, I see that God is doing a new thing. He is raising up a new kind of leadership. God is raising up a new sound on this earth. He is going to use the church in a new way that's never been used before. And we have, need to understand that we need new eyes and we need new vision to begin to see what God is doing. Because we still see the giants in the land. We still see the problems in the land. And we're like, man, we can't go up. That's too much, God. But God's doing a, a, a new thing. He's doing something in the earth. Just last night, I had the 
the opportunity. I, I couldn't make it. I watched online. I watched as thousands of people join together at the Cajun Dome just to worship Jesus. Man, what a, what a testament to the goodness of God. Come on, somebody. Yeah, let's give the Lord some praise for that. And, and here's why. Here's why. I mean, I've talked to countless leaders and individuals who, who, who said they've been praying for years and years and years to see the dome filled with, his, with God's people giving glory to him. I mean, this is the answer to years and years of prayer. Come on, because we have a God who answers our prayers. As, as JP would say, what other nation is there that has a God who is so near to them? We have a God who answers prayer. And I believe that God is calling us to this new thing, to this new purpose. God is calling the church to reclaim the land that he has given us. He, I mean, God has given us this land. This is the land that he has given us. He has given us these lives. He has given us these assignments. God is with us. Who can be against us? And we need as a church to stand up in radical boldness with radical vision for what God is doing. I believe that radical vision can move mountains. It can, radical vision can build businesses that don't exist on the earth right now. Radical vision can, can establish schools and churches. How many of you realize 1952, there was this, this, this shortened stature, but giant in, in, in spiritual stature man who saw that there was no church in Acadiana. He said, I'm going to go plant a church. Radical vision led him to that. Radical vision has established more than just good planning. We need to have the vision for what God is doing. Radical vision can set the trajectory for a nation. When people begin to see differently, it can change the world. So, so in, our, in, our, in our Bible reading, we read about Moses. He took people to the edge of the land that God promised them. He showed them the land that was before them. This is the land that was promised to them. I, I just want to try to set the tone. It's, this is the land that was promised to them. God said, this is your land. The same God that delivered them out of bondage. The same God that sent the, the flies and the locusts and, and, and all these plagues. The same God said, this is your land. But that land was occupied. And, and not only by other people, but there were giants in the land. There were spirit, like these giants weren't just like tall people either. These were like sons of darkness. I mean, these were wicked men that were literally like the sons of angels that were fallen angels. They were demonic people. This is the, this is the sons of Anak. These are the Nephilim. Anyway, I can, that's a whole nother teaching, but there was, there were some real giants in the land. The land was, was occupied. So they sent spies into the land and and they bring back a report. And Caleb and Joshua, they said that, that hey, it's going to be tough, but I think we can do it. I think that we can make it. I think that if God is with us, then these people don't stand a chance. But then there were 10 other spies who, who gave a report and said that, that, that we, are, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Therefore, they see us as grasshoppers. See, this is the generation that saw with their own eyes their deliverance from Egypt, yet they were made afraid with what they saw. Like they saw with their own eyes their deliverance, but then whenever they had to go possess something, they became afraid with what they saw. 
I, I mean, it, it's, it's God delivered me from alcoholism. I know that God is a deliverer. God can set you free in a moment, in an instant. He is a miracle-working God. I have seen God heal people in a moment, in an instant. I've seen tumors shrink up. I've seen people who couldn't talk begin to speak out. I've seen legs that couldn't work begin to walk on this earth. But yet sometimes when we get face-to-face -face with these giants, we become afraid and discouraged even though we've seen it in the past. You see, it's important that we regulate and we guard what we see because we need to have radical vision. We need to see the things of God, not the things of this earth. The only difference between Joshua and Caleb and the rest of the spies wasn't, I mean, they, they all saw the miracles. They all saw that stuff, but it's not what they saw so much as how they interpreted it. What was the vision that they saw was their God greater or were they greater? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says that we, for, for we walk by faith and not by sight. You see, faith requires seeing, but seeing through the eyes of faith. You know, we need to see things differently. It's important how we see things. I, I've been around most of you for a, a period of time. I know there's some people in here who are giants in the faith. And I've been around other people, and it's like, man, they can see some of the most insignificant things and it just begins to destroy them. But we don't need to see through the eyes of the flesh. We need to see through the eyes of our faith. But I, I want to ask you this here this morning. Here's just a personal question, something to you to chew on this morning. Let me ask you this. What do you have faith for right now? Come on, what do you have faith for? What promises are you preparing to possess? As a born-again believer, you need to have an answer to that. What, what are you believing for? What promises has God placed on your life that you're preparing to possess? Are you just going around the mountain over and over? I'll be going around the mountain till she comes. Going, I mean, this is sometimes some of y'all's Christian life. This is some of our Christian life. I've been there before. 20 years of just going around the mountain, waiting for God to do something. All the while, God is saying, Joe, begin to prepare your life to possess the promises that I have for you. Friends, we are on this earth to get saved we, to, just, just so we can have some fire insurance and get to heaven. God has a plan and a purpose for you, and that includes possessing certain things that he needs you to do. I mean, I love church. We have it every Sunday, but this isn't the end of our faith. It's the beginning of it. Come on, this is the place where we come to get vision to go and possess the world that God has promised before us. What are you believing for? What do you have faith for? What's the promise you're preparing for? Is it revival? Are you preparing your heart for revival? Maybe, man, we're praying for revival. Well, pray, but also prepare. Look, begin to get in the Word because when revival comes, we're going to need preachers. We're going to need teachers. We're going to need evangelists. We're going to need prophets. We're going to need apostles. You need to begin to prepare and pray. Are, are you believing for healing? Maybe you've been, you need healing in your body. Are you preparing your body for healing? Are you preparing your heart for healing? We need to begin to prepare, not just to pray, but we need to prepare our hearts to possess the promises God has for us. Are we believing for deliverance, maybe for us or for a family member? Begin to prepare for that deliverance. Begin to prophesy into that deliverance. Don't just pray about it. Possess it. What about restoration? What are we doing? I mean, do we have faith 
for restoration, a broken relationship, a broken job, a broken thing in this world? Or what about just freedom? How many of y'all are believing for freedom? I mean, I'm believing for freedom in this generation. I want to see a generation of Christ followers that are just so pure and holy and sanctified and set apart to win this, to, to, to win this world for Christ. But we're not going to do it with just catchy sayings and Facebook pages. we got to get there and get our hands dirty with the gospel. But do we have the vision for it? I mean, revival's tough. Healing's tough. Deliverance is tough. Restoration is tough. These are some big giants that we have to overcome. But I believe that our God is greater. And I believe that we need, as a people of God, begin to get the vision for what God is doing in our life. Like, do we have the vision for what God is doing in our life? Or are we just victims for what God is doing in our life? Well, if the Lord wills, friends, the Lord wills. I mean, we, we need to develop habits where we're not praying wimpy prayers. Lord, heal them. But if, I mean, if, if they're going through this just because you want to teach them something, that's okay too. I don't, you don't have to heal them right now. I mean, we, we, would, we make more excuses than we make faith statements. We have to have vision for what God's doing in your life. What is God doing? I, I, I hope that you think about that this week. What is God doing in my life? What am I believing for? And it's important because in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I mean, if we don't have a vision, if we don't have the vision for what God is doing, then we're going to perish in our faith. I've seen so many Christians come and go and come and go. Why? Because they never latch on to what God has promised them in their life. The, these people are delivered out of bondage. They go into this wilderness and they are literally standing at the threshold of promise and faint because their faith is weak, because they don't have the vision for what God is doing. Man, when you know what God has called you to do, think about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And how they knew, hey, God said that we are not going to worship anyone except our God, even at the threat of, of being thrown into a fire. Yet they went in anyway because they had a vision for the promise of God in their life. And it was through them that the king was saved. So I want to talk a little bit about radical vision. What is vision? What vision am I talking about? I mean, there's many types of visions. Vision is simply this. It's revelation. It, it's sight. It's the ability to see. You know, we can have all the tools, we can have all the equipment, but if we can't see what we're supposed to do, I actually own a really nice tool set that I can use to work on cars. I mean, it is state-of-the-art, top of the line, the best there is. But you put me in front of a motor, friends, we're going to have problems. Because I lack the vision to see, to fix the motor. I have the tools, but I lack the vision. The Israelites, they had the tools, but they lacked the vision. See, the issue with the Israelites wasn't a lack of God's presence. That's not, you know, we think, well, if we have more presence, then, then we can possess the land. Friends, the Israelites, a pillar of fire in the day, or, or at night, and a pillar of smoke uh, during the day. They literally walked with God out of Egypt. There was, the, as far as presence goes, this is the, the, the grandest manifestation of God's presence ever. They heard God speak from Mount Sinai. And we wait for God to whisper into our hearts. And we say, Lord, if I had more presence, then we can overcome. Then we can possess. I need your presence. I'm not saying we do need God's presence, but presence isn't the prerequisite for possession. 
vision is. That you couldn't say they had a lack of religion and tradition, a lack of understanding. Literally, they're sitting there with Moses. Moses is writing this, these books. They had the law. They had all of these things. They had the tabernacle. They had the feast. They knew God. They knew God. Yet they couldn't possess the land. See, it's not a lack of knowledge that kept them from the land. It wasn't a lack of tradition. It wasn't a lack of church services. It, it wasn't a lack of faith even why they couldn't possess the land. It wasn't a lack of leadership. Some people say, man, if we had a, a better leader, then we can possess the land. Man, if, if only the America had a better president, then we can move forward. Friends, leadership isn't the problem. These guys had Moses as their leader. Moses, who heard directly from God, who, I mean, his face was glowing. He had a veil over his face. I mean, they had Moses as their leadership, yet they couldn't possess the land. Leadership isn't the problem. They saw the miracles. I mean, they had the, they had the, the presence. They had, they had all the, the acts and the religion. They had the Bible. They had the Bible, and yet they couldn't possess the land. The reason they couldn't possess the promise of God was because their vision was clouded by the obstacles they were looking at. They had all these things, yet, yet they saw the obstacles between them and the promise, and they said, those things are too great. These sons of Anak, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, there are too many of them. Their walls are too tall. It's too difficult, God. I can't do it. You see, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And you see, I... They were spies, so literally the people who were in the land didn't even see them. So because how they saw themselves as grasshoppers, they simply assumed that the giant saw them that way as well. How many of us, man, we're standing at the precipice of promise, but yet because we lack the courage and the vision for what God is doing in our lives, we fail to possess it. See, the greatest threat to the gospel today is not the devil. The greatest threat to the gospel today is not our government. The greatest threat to the gospel today is not, is not the internet. It's not any of that. The greatest threat to the gospel today is a church that does not see through the eyes of faith. The, the greatest threat to the church today, to the greatest threat to the gospel today is a church that does not see the power of God within them. The, the greatest threat to the church today or to the, to the gospel today is a church that does not have vision for what God is doing in the land. Vision is everything. How do we, vision is everything. Are y'all with me so far? Does this make any sense? It's, make, it's starting to make sense to me a little bit. The, the greatest threat today is we don't have radical vision. We, we see things, but we don't really see things. Man, I have seen things, but I don't really see things? Do I see what God is doing? Do I even know what God is doing? Do I even care what God is doing? Or am I just going to say, well, man, hopefully someday, maybe some big name guy is going to come to my town and we're all going to show up and have a revival and I'll show up for that, but I won't show up to prayer meetings. I won't show up to church services. I won't show up whenever the pastor says, hey, we're going to pray. We're going to intercede. God is doing something. We want to see revival. We got to fight for it. We got to see it. We got to have vision for it. So I've put together three things that you should know when God gives you vision. So these are three things that you should know when God gives you vision. Because I mean, we get vision, right? I, I, I'll tell you, once God gives me vision some, from time to time, 
I remember my first Sunday at the church. I mean, it was like the first Sunday, Doc. I mean, it was, we had a service before. He had Pastor Tommy was here. It's like that covering. Okay, we're good. You know, Pastor Scott, our superintendent, was here. Okay, we're good. And then that next Sunday, it's like this guy. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, God, what are we going to do now? You know, like I'm the, the guy in charge. And it's, it was intimidating. I was scared. And I was like, God, what am I going to do? And how am I going to do this? And I remember during worship, I was walking back behind the sound booth, and God gave me vision, his vision. And he said, Joe, this is a traditional church. And I'm like, wow, God, that's awesome. Everybody likes to be the traditional church. And he says, no, not man's tradition, but my traditions. And he took me back in a vision through the day of Pentecost, all the way through history to, the, to Azusa Street, to the tent revivals of the 40s and 50s. And he brought me to, to, to Pastor King and to Pastor Headley and to Pastor Tommy. And he brought me to the day. He said, Joe, just latch on to the traditions of Pentecost and you're going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, God, I have the vision for where the church needs to go. So I was like, we are a Pentecostal church. That may make people feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry, but that's who we are. We're Pentecostal. We operate in the power, the vision, the authority of the living God. That, that we believe that the Spirit of God lives within us. So when God gives you vision, here's three things that you need to know when God gives us vision. The first one is that God is always working. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, God's working. But look at your other neighbor and say, God's working in your life. We need to know that God does not sleep. He does not slumber. He don't go to the bathroom. He's not too busy. He's not afraid of your problems. He's not intimidated by you. God is always working. Romans 8.28. He works all things for the good of those who, are called, who, who love him and are called according to his purposes. God is working on your behalf. I want to just kind of go to the, there's this man of God. His name is Elisha. And this is in 2 Kings. And Elisha, he's in this moment and the people of God are surrounded by these great Syrian armies. I mean, if you can just imagine with me for a moment, you know, the, the, Elisha, and he's there with his servant and, and they're, they're in Jerusalem and, and there is armies all around him. It says horses and chariots and, and they outnumber the people who are in the city. And I'm like, man, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. You know, it's like I, I feel surrounded. I feel like I'm inadequate. I feel like I don't have all the things I need. I feel like I can't do what God is calling me to do. And, and, and we go to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14 through 17, and it says this. Uh, Elisha is, is saying, he says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to Elisha, he said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Man, this is like a day in the life of a senior pastor. I mean, the pro oh, what shall we do? I mean, I ask myself this all the time. And Elisha says, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray. Open his eyes. He says, open his eyes. He, he didn't say, Lord, cast down the, the, the armies. He didn't say, Lord, bring more people. He says, Lord, open this servant's eyes that he can see. 
And the Lord opened his eyes, and the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, even when our situations seem impossible, even when our circumstances seem out of control, when we seem like we've lost it all, we need to know that God is always working, that God is greater than our circumstances, and He is always working. In the natural, they saw this, the, the army, and it was surrounded they were surrounded by this impossible army, horses and chariots. And they all, we always ask this question when we find ourselves in difficult situations. What shall we do? The servant says, what shall we do? I think this is our response. Man, I've dealt with some pretty tough situations. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we get the diagnosis? What are we going to do when we get the letter from the bank? What are we going to do when, when, when we find the, the guy who's drunk again or high again or broken again? What are we going to do? What resources do we have? What capabilities do we have? What programs are there for them? What, what, what are we going to do? Who is with us? How many people can we get at this prayer meeting? This is what the servant was asking. But what we should ask ourselves is not, what shall we do? Because Elisha plainly says, he begins, he says, do not have fear. Because when we start asking, what can we do? How many of you know we're already asking the wrong question? I think a more appropriate question would be to ask, what is he doing? What is God doing in this situation? God, give me eyes to see. You see, when we begin to allow fear into our heart because of our circumstances, we can't even see what God is doing. So Elisha says, do not fear. I believe that every battle begins there. Every battle begins with this question of fear because fear is a wicked enemy and a ruthless foe. Fear will paralyze us. Fear will blind us. Fear will keep us from seeing what God is doing. I mean, we came through a pandemic together. Somebody say amen. Come on, we came through some political mess together. Somebody say amen. I believe that even the, that racism will be ended in our nation in my lifetime, that, that we're going to destroy the works of it. I mean, I'm not fearful of those things, but I want to see what God is doing. I, wanna, I mean, we feel this surrounding, this, uh, this uh, fear can begin to rise up within us. Elijah says, do not fear, because your fear is keeping you from seeing. And then what else does Elijah do? Elisha prays. When things seem impossible, pray. I know that I'm talking to a room full of Bible scholars and, 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 and theologians, but I need you to know that when times are tough, don't forget to pray. When times are tough, don't forget to pray. Don't fear. We need to pray. Open our eyes to see what God is doing, because we can become blinded by our doubt. We can become blinded by our fear. But when the situation seems impossible, find a man or woman of God who will come alongside with you and pray with you that God will open your eyes and you can see what he is doing. You see, the servant of Elijah, he didn't have a, a faith problem. He is Elijah's servant. Like he didn't have a leadership problem. He's Elijah's servant. This guy is watching Elijah do miracle, 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 miracle. His problem was a lack of vision. He didn't have the vision to see what God is doing. Point number one, God is always working. Point number two, you'll run to what you're looking at. But you're going to run 
to what you're looking at. I remember several years ago, uh, I, I, I used to just love hanging out with men of God. Pastor Tommy bought a motorcycle, so I bought a motorcycle. Just so we could go on motorcycle rides, man. It was just like, I want to be around a dude. So I bought a motorcycle. So we went on trips. We did all that. I went and took motorcycle riding classes, you know. And I realized real quick, when you're riding a motorcycle, that it's more important to look at where you're going than where you are. Especially if you're going around a curve. Don't look right in front of your wheel. You need to be looking down the way onto where you're going because where you're looking is where you're going to go. I mean, there's, there's guys who buy these fancy cars. You know why sports cars, especially red sports cars, are more expensive on insurance? It's not because people drive them faster because they're red. It's because people notice them more, and people are looking at that car so intently that they end up running into the thing. I mean, because we go where we're looking at. And when God gives us vision, we need to understand that we need to look at the vision instead of looking at our circumstances. Because we're going to run to where we're looking. If you don't like where you are, don't change where you are. Change where you're looking. And where you are will begin to follow that. I, I want to just repeat that. If you don't like your circumstances, if you don't like what's going on, don't try to change your circumstances. It's impossible. What you've been investing in for years and years and years has got you to where you are today. If you want to change where you're at, begin to look in a different direction and watch God begin to change where you're going. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 says this. It says, Then the Lord answered and said to me, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Habakkuk 2, 2. When the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Write the vision. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. Make it plain. I'm repeating this on purpose. I, I need you to just to Get this. Write it down. Make it plain. So that way when you read it, you can run to it because you're going to run to what you see. I mean, if, if, if you get a diagnosis, if you get a problem, if you got a bill, don't just sit there every morning and look at your overdue bills. That's living in depression. The, the question is, is what vision do you run to? Do you run to fear and defeat or do you run to overcoming and possession? What vision are you believing? The vision of the enemy for your life or the vision of God for your life? If we focus on the doubt and what the enemy's doing, that's where we'll end up running to. God tells Habakkuk, he says, write down the promises of God over your life and make it plain. Write it down. When God gives you a vision, write it down. Revolutionary stuff. Pray and journal. I know it's I know, deep theological, but it's powerful. It's powerful. How many of us write it down and we look to that so we can run to that instead of to what the enemy is saying? Come on, when we get a diagnosis, a negative diagnosis, like we get a disease in our body, you need to say, no, I, Lord, God says that I am healed and write that down. I am healed in Jesus' name by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ by his stripes. I am healed. Write it down plainly on a tablet and post it up on the wall. Prayer closet. And you, once you focus your eyes on those visions, on those promises, the promises of God, you will begin to run to what you're looking at. If you're struggling in, in addiction or, or affliction or, 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 or any of these things, write it down plainly. God set me free. I remember 
when I was first saved, I mean, I was playing on the worship team. I was doing some things. I had a terrible habit of chewing tobacco. It's a disgusting habit. Everybody would be like, man, Joe, you dip? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't stink like cigarette smoke. Now that it's been a few years, I'm like, ugh, it stinks worse. It's a disgusting habit. But I used to do that stuff. I mean, it was gross. And I was like, God, set me free. I don't want to have this addiction anymore. I don't want to be controlled and bound by tobacco. And man, tobacco is more than just addiction. It's like it gets control over your pocketbook as well. I mean, I was probably spending $100 a month on chewing tobacco. I mean, it's crazy. We need to, so I, finally I had to have a visual understanding. I took the can and I emptied it out onto the ground. I took the can and I threw it into my neighbor's yard. I mean, I probably should have threw it in the trash, but you just do what you got to do. I needed to see it. And I said, Lord, I am free from this addiction. Set me free. Make it plain. God, deliver me. God, save me. Make it plain. Don't make excuses. Lord, heal me if it's your will. No, God said it is his will that you're healed. God said it is your will that you're delivered. It is his will that your son and your daughter is coming home, that they will be saved. You see, even the religious leaders in Jesus' time, they were looking and waiting for a Messiah. For, for They were looking and waiting for their deliverer, but because they were so focused on religion because of the things around them that they couldn't see what was right before them. Jesus describes them as the blind leading the blind. They both fall into the ditch. Is the enemy strong? Yes, but God is stronger. Don't focus on our circumstances. Focus on his promises. The people, when they were coming out of, I mean, they were coming out into the land of promise, and they were standing right there, and they were focused on the negative. They were focused on what was taking possession instead of focusing on what God had said. This is a good land, and I've given it to you. This is our land. God has given it to us. He has given us our sons, our daughters. He has given us our freedom. He has given us our salvation. Last point. Point number one. I got it up on the screen. Huh? See, I'm getting better. God is always working. You'll run to what you're looking at. Last point. To see, you must be born again. To see, you must be born again. Like, Joe, what? Really? Vision? Born again? To see, you must be born again. Like, don't think, oh, man, I can write a nice vision statement and God's going to bless my life. Nope, you got to be born again. I can, I can put together a good life plan and God's going to bless my life. No, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Listen, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus is, meets this man named Nicodemus who comes to him by night. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Worship team, if you come up. You see, we can't even see the things of God unless we're born again. Well, people are like, man, Joe, I don't know if I really believe in all that healing stuff. Brother, you need to get born again. I don't know if I believe in all that, that spiritual stuff and God can do this and that. Well, you can't see it because, and I'm not even going to try to explain it to you because it's just going to lead to frustration. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. That we can't have God's vision for a community unless we're born again. And we talk about this. Don't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. But yet we do it all the time. I mean, that's not just a marriage, good marriage counseling. Well, that's business counseling. Well, that's ministry counseling. That's community counseling. I mean, it doesn't say that we can't 
do things with other people, but I certainly am not going to trust the heart of someone who is a non-believer. Why? Because they can't see the kingdom of God. Harsh, maybe. Jesus was harsher. We need to understand if we need vision that we, and we can't see what God is doing, then we need to be born again. Your old ways are not going to work. Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was, uh, I mean, he was a, a, a religious scholar. He had all the programs, the education. He had all of those things. And Jesus is like, man, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even have the vision for the promise in your life until you were born again. And, and born again requires absolute surrender. It requires absolute, I mean, how many of you got to pick what day you were born on? Like, you know, they got to pick their birthday. I mean, you can pick your birthday, but I mean, that doesn't mean that that was the day you were born. None of us got to pick what color we were, were when we were born. I didn't. I would have picked Hawaiian, born in Hawaii, to somebody who lives in Hawaii. And I would have lived in Hawaii all my life, you know. Oli's like, amen. She was blessed with that heritage. I, I mean, we don't get to pick that time we were born. How many of you know that? Even our being born again is really not up to us, that we are drawn by the power of God to new life. So to be born again, we have to be willing to lay our lives down. Born again requires absolute surrender. If you can't see the things of God in your life, it begins with finding absolute surrender to Him. You see, I believe the church, to possess the land, to possess the promise, to possess revival, healing, all the things we need to begin to operate a new birth and new life and new vision. The odds may be stacked against us, but we know God is working. Amen. Things may look impossible, but we're going to look at, we're going to, we know that we'll run to what we see and we're going to begin to change the things we're looking at. Man, that's a powerful word right there. You want to see things change in your life, begin to look at things differently and different things. I mean, instead of spending hours and hours and hours in front of a television set or in front of social media or in front of the news or in front of all this other stuff, begin to look at the Word of God, begin to have Christian fellowship with other believers and watch what God will do when you begin to run towards His vision for your life. When we begin to declare by faith the promises of God. Or maybe when we can't even just see the hope, we need to see to, in order to see, when we can't see any hope in a situation, we need to begin to see that we need to be born again. In order to get that vision, we must be born again. I mean, even as a Christian, as a believer for 20 years, I've let things get into my life. You know, it, it happens that cloud our vision. I can have 20-20 vision, but if I'm wearing dark sunglasses, I may not be able to see as well. But the Israelites were free but yet they didn't have the vision to possess. You know, sometimes when we lack vision, we just need to begin to surrender our lives to Christ once more. Begin to look to the Lord. To begin to declare by faith the promises of God. We need to learn to surrender to Him. I, I love this whole aspect of new birth. You know, you know what they say whenever a woman is pregnant, she's what? She's expecting are you expecting you know we have a whole sign in the lobby that says expect a miracle do we have radical vision for what God's doing in our life do we stand together this morning
You see, I believe that God is calling the church to new vision. He's calling the church to a new birth, to new hope, to a new purpose. Vision that possesses the land, like Caleb and Joshua type of vision. Vision that defeats the giants, like David. I mean, the whole rest of Israel was fearful over over Goliath, who was one of a descendant of Anak. They were fearful over one man, all of them, but David saw things differently. He said, who is this that dares defy us? We need to have vision that establishes nations. I believe that God has given us, wants to give us radical vision. He wants to change the way we see things. He wants to change who we are. He wants to change our circumstances. He wants us to walk in the promises of God. And I know that I have some promises on my life, but there's some promises I'm still waiting on. And I don't want to take my eyes off of that. So I'm asking God to give us radical vision. So this morning, I just want to take a moment. We're going to pray. I know we have a business meeting here right after church. I want to encourage you, if you're staying for the business meeting, we're just going to, it's, we're going to have a moment of prayer. And we're going to pray, but I don't want to rush the prayer for the business meeting. We're going to have our meeting. But right after service, I'm just going to give you these announcements now. If you want to, we're going to set up some tables. You can go sign in and register for the meeting and just come back and just hang tight with us. We'll start the meeting as soon as we can. If you have kids, if you have kids, go ahead and go take the kids out of, out of the, like check them out and then check them back in, right? So that way we know who's here for the business meeting and we know who's just people who like to talk. My kids used to stay in kids' church till 2 o'clock. So I'm just saying. So there's our business meeting instructions. and We'll have some tables set up here soon. But this morning, I want to take an opportunity to pray with you. Because I feel like some of us have run out of hope, man. It's like I've lost the vision for what God's done in my life. I, I mean, you know, you ever hear that pastors or preachers, they'll say, like, I have to go through something before I preach it? It's almost every week. And it's like, God, man, I lack, what are you doing in my life? What am I doing? Like, am I doing a good job? Am I possessing the land? Am I doing what you've called me to do? And these questions, and God's like, Joe, you know that I'm working for you, right? You, you know that I'm still the God who saves, heals, and delivers. You know that I'm still the God who has anointed you for this time and for this season. I need to remind myself, and I need to quit looking at other things and start looking to Him. If you've run out of hope, if you feel hopeless, like, God, what am I doing? Man, can you just surrender your life to Him today? Say, God, give me vision for what you're doing in my life. Maybe some of us are surrounded by impossible situations. I mean, I, I've been there. It's like, it seems impossible. I remember there was a time in my life, I got like a $29,000 bill in the mail. I couldn't afford it. God, I don't know what to do. What shall I do? And I'm like, I had to learn, just give it to God. I mean, pay it if necessary, but give it to God. I'll provide. He is my provider. Give it to God. Sometimes we need to have a different vision for what God is doing. Maybe some of us may feel like we missed the season to possess God's promises in our life. Maybe, maybe I missed my opportunity. I missed my time. I'm getting too old. Or, or maybe I've, I'm past my prime. How many of you know Moses was 80 years old when God used him 
to go and deliver the people out of Egypt. It's never past your time. And there's modern day people, missionaries, who get called into the mission field in their 80s and have tens and 20s, 15 years of amazing ministry because they followed the vision for God in their life. They had radical vision. They ran after the things of God. We need to know that God is always working, that God, that we, that we run to what we look at, that we can change the things. Maybe we're looking at our situation instead of looking at what God is doing. So this morning, I just want us to have an opportunity to pray together. So I want to invite our, our altar ministry team, if you would come forward. Well, if you need prayer, if, you need, if your vision is clouded, if you're saying, my situation is impossible, or maybe I feel like I'm past my prime, I'm going to ask the worship team in just these next few moments. They're going to play a song. And while they're playing a song, would you just come meet one of these altar ministry workers, my friends here, and they're going to come into agreement with you here this morning. Amen? Amen. So as the worship team is playing, if you want to come and receive prayer, would you come receive prayer? If, if, if not, would you just stay right where you are? We're going to come back for our closing prayer after this song. Amen? Amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Oh, oh, oh.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, right now. Come on, I just want to just pray a, a corporate prayer that God would just reveal his vision to his church. So if, can you just join with me in that prayer this morning? God, give us vision, give us radical vision to see revival in the land, to see healing in the land, to see renewed hearts in the land. Come on, right now, can we just extend our hands to heaven in agreement? with his word right now heavenly father i thank you for everything that you are doing in this body lord i pray that even now lord that you begin to pour out your spirit like you poured out on the day of pentecost like you poured out as prophesied in the book of joel lord god that your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions, Lord, that you pour out visions into this body. Lord, that we begin to see with new eyes, with renewed eyes. Lord, that we begin to remember, Lord God, the, the, first, of, the first love that we had for you. Lord, that we remember what it was like to be born again. Lord, that we thought that no weapon generally could be, genuinely could be formed against us will prosper. Lord, I believe that, I wanna believe it again. Lord, I pray that you give us vision, Lord God, for the future. Lord, give us vision, radical vision, radical ideas. Lord, not just run-of-the-mill, everyday, normal, going around the mountain, but Lord, vision that possesses the land. Lord, give us vision that possesses the land. Lord, give us vision that possesses our hearts. Lord, let us not be fearful or discouraged, but Lord, let us walk in boldness and courage as we see your promises fulfilled. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord, and we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Come on, if you agree with that this morning, can we give the Lord some praise? Amen. Hallelujah.